On with a This week's episode of On One is brought to you by Form. The Form collection minimizes guesswork and makes hair care simpler by offering personal regimens specifically designed for individual hair needs. It's the first women's prestige hair care collection to celebrate beauty in all its forms. Get 10% off your entire order when you visit formbeauty.com forward slash Angela. That's formbeauty.com forward slash Angela. We're all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to fight. Pray, they see God and everything I write here. My name is Naima Keith, and I am the deputy director and chief curator here at the California African American Museum. Thank you, girl. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to welcome everyone to camp tonight. When we began this series, Activism Now, a year ago, our goal was to hear from activists, scholars, and thought leaders who are working to make a difference in our communities, especially in light of the ever-changing and increasingly frustrating political climate. We knew our community wanted to hear from folks doing the work so that we could become more politically and socially engaged. But before I introduce Angela, I want to formally acknowledge our board members, Executive Director George Davis, supporters, and members of CAM that make programs like this possible. I also want to give a special shout out to our staff, especially Chela Montoya, for working very hard to make this event possible. Okay, so to introduce Angela. I cannot think of a better person who embodies the spirit of activism than Angela Rye. Now I could spend the next 10 minutes or 20 uh, reading her formal bio, telling you things like that she's, on the, she's the principal and CEO of Impact Strategies, a political advocacy firm in the nation's capital, or I could mention that she's a CNN political commentator and NPR political analyst, that she currently serves on the board, uh, boards of the Congressional Black Caucus Institute, Congressional Black Caucus Political Action Committee, the Seattle University School of Law Alumni, Women Entertainment Empowerment Network, and Wilberforce University. I could say all of that. <laughs> but I think those things only give you a glimpse into the, exactly the type of badass woman that Angela Rye really is. So her bio is one thing, but I think that, you know, I want to provide a few examples from her appearances on CNN to kind of exemplify, again, this badass woman. I knew that she was a beast when she refused to call Trump her president in July 2017. Twice. I knew she was fearless when she said on live TV, that the statues of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Robert E. Lee all needed to come down. <laughs> I knew that she was my girl, in my head, <laughs> um, when she rolled her eyes on CNN when someone described Trump's accomplishments. <laughs> a few days later, she used a Beyonce-inspired shutdown in response to something, something another correspondent said, boy, bye. <laughs> but in all seriousness, 
Angela's work and dedication to justice is the embodiment of what we would affectionately call black girl magic. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Angela Rye. So wait, before you sit down, you know, I'm kind of a millennial, kind of, not really. My team would tell you I'm too old to be a millennial, but first we must selfie. Oh, wait, lift your hands, lift your hands, here we go. I know that was so tacky, but I did it anyway. And we're gonna have to do it at the end cause it's blurry. Anyway, thank you all so much for being here. Um, I heard that there were 4,000 RSVPs, and I was like, for what? <laughs> um, so I'm elated and very, very humbled um, by the support. Uh, I love you all, too. I really do. I'm so thankful. Um, so today, Democrats, for once, had a pretty okay day. <laughs> Yes, uh, we have a historic win in uh, the lieutenant governor race uh, with Justin Fairfax of Virginia. Yes, and we also had, um, of course, the, the Democratic um, nominee for governor in Virginia also won Ralph Northam. And then in New Jersey, Philip Murphy, there are some wins. Charlotte got its first black woman mayor. It's very good. So I'm saying all of that now because I also have some shade to throw for Democrats, but that's for another talk. It's for another talk. Today we're just going to celebrate the wins. Uh, but just so we're clear, I stand with Donna. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you guys will figure that out later. Um, we have a number of issues in this country, um, and mo many of them are rooted in systemic oppression and racism. And that racism um, knows no party. It is a nonpartisan, bipartisan problem. And still, we have to, so many times as people of color, kind of lay our issues aside for the greater good. And at some point, we got to be the greater good. Um, so I'm going to spend tonight talking about the ways in which we can achieve our greater good for once, because nobody is going to look out for us the way that we are. But before I get there, I have some housekeeping matters. First, I want to thank um, the deputy director of this museum, Naima Keith, for that wonderful introduction. Thank you. Um, I also want to thank um, Cello Montoya, who has been a godsend and really organized this whole thing and has been on me and my team to meet her deadlines, and we missed everyone. But Cello, we thank you. She's <laughs> the director of education here. And last but certainly not least, um, I want to thank your director who came back to greet me. Um, we took pictures. He was putting out chairs, doing all kinds of things to make sure that today worked well. And that is George Davis. So thank you also to George right here. And he's always very clear to let me know he still reps the 206. For those of you that don't know, it's Seattle, Washington all day. <laughs> Y'all are over me. I didn't talk about Donna in Seattle. It's still West Coast, though. West Coast is the best coast. We can go with that. 
So now for the meat of the matter. Um, this series is called Activism Now. And I think it's very important for us to understand the state of where we are um, right now. Of course, we know today was election day. I hope all of you voted. How many people voted? Don't lie either. Tell the truth. What did you say? Oh, okay, okay, okay. County, okay. County base. Uh, Y'all were about to be in trouble. I was like, it's three people in here who voted. <laughs> I'm a Washington resident, so we had an election. I mailed in my ballot today. Um, so, when you think about election days and you think about the last one, in particular, in 2016, um, we know that for so many of us, the world shifted. Um, we know that for so many of us, purpose, particularly as it relates to how we engage in our politics and in our activism, shifted. Uh, there was a, a skit on Saturday Night Live with Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle where they made it very clear to the white people in the skit that this was not new. Like We've been experiencing this trauma you got going on right now. But I still think it reached a different threshold and we've seen some of that play out with some of the hate crimes and hate, hate incidents. There was a hate incident increase since y'all's president's election. <laughs> I know he's probably not yours either, but I'm definitely not claiming him. So there are a number of things that um, aided in his election. And one of the things that we talked about for some time but have since stopped talking about is a case in 2013 known as Holder versus Shelby County. And that case essentially gutted the Voting Rights Act, Section 5, which made it so that states that had historic, uh, a historic demonstration of discriminating in its voting practices could do that now without being pre-cleared. That's in the weeds to say, right, it would make it harder for black people to vote, for brown people to vote, for our elders to vote, for disabled people to vote, for millennials to vote. Who is that? All the people that mostly vote for progressives. And that's not by accident. So since 2013, there have been a number of states that have put um, in restrictions, voter suppressive measures that would cut down early voting days, make it harder to vote absentee, and of, co of course put something forward known as voter ID. And all of these things make it difficult for us to exercise our right to vote. When you think about John Lewis, marching across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and nearly dying for that opportunity, for them to turn around and make it harder for us to vote after we elected our first black president twice, right? That's a slap in the face. It's a slap in the face and why many of those efforts were called a modern day poll tax. So one of the examples from that is like in Alabama, for example, which I just talked about briefly with Edmund Pettus Bridge, they closed down 31 DMVs, and most of those DMVs were located in poor black communities. And that was in 2015. And we've seen these things get progressively worse. I certainly um, did not anticipate having uh, a foreign government getting involved in elections, and of course that making it even harder with Russia, and we still don't know the impact of that, but we do know that they were able to interfere with more than 20 precincts in different states 
in 2016. So that means that our activism now has to be global, right? For many of us, we may have had parents, or some of you in this room may have been directly involved with anti-apartheid movements, but we never had to fight to protect the vote from a foreign government in our national elections. That's a new form of activism that's required. So I want to go briefly um, to the definition of activism. It's a doctrine or practice that emphasizes direct, vigorous action, especially in support of or in opposition to one side of a controversial issue. Somebody say action. That's what's required. There is no activism without work. From a biblical concept, I know it's not church, but from a biblical concept, we know that faith without works is dead faith. And one of the same, activism is dead activism if you're not moving, doing something. So people right now are saying, stay woke. I say work woke. Because it doesn't matter if you have the fruit of knowledge, but you're not putting that knowledge into some type of action that results in real change for the community. So when I think about activism, to me, it's a lifestyle, and it's one that I was frankly born into. I didn't have a choice. I often talk about the fact that my dad says, baby, you were protesting when you were two. Sir, I had no choice. You took me to say a protest. Um, and I'm grateful for that, but I talked about apartheid early on, and my first protest was an anti-apartheid protest, thanks to Eddie Rye, um, who is an activist who still is a bullhorn-carrying activist. It's in his trunk right now. Um, and I'm grateful for that upbringing because, to me, activism was a way of life. We did not have a choice to fight for the little guy or the little gal. We had to because if they didn't have the base level of resources to move forward, we have a problem. And my dad has fought for that on every single front. So has my mom, but on the higher education front. It is important for us to understand that oppression is real and it impacts particularly people of color in varying degrees. But just because some of us have achieved does not mean all of us have achieved. And that is where the real work lies in our activism now. So right now, what we're up against, and I think really what we saw in addition to Russia in 2016, is real fear. And that fear is there is a majority in this country that knows that every single day that majority is shifting. This America is becoming more brown and more black. That is why when the terrorism incident happened in New York last week, the first thing that Donald Trump went to was cutting down on diversity visas. Diversity visas? The same way in which Africans and people throughout the diaspora get into this country, overwhelmingly so, disproportionately so. And he knows that he's speaking right to the fear of his base, right? And so we understand that as they continue to fear for their place, rightful or not, I would say wrongfully so, their place in this country, right? They're fighting for their power, you know, a power that's been abused for far too long, the same power that we've been fighting for when we talk about our activism now. So we're up against racism and bigotry that's been fueled by fear and by Donald Trump's talking points that didn't start in 2016, mind you. They started, right, when he 
called for President Obama's birth certificate. It started when he offered to pay someone to see his Harvard transcripts, even though this dude can't spell on a tweet, in a tweet. 140 characters and he's striking out. Oh, my godsons just walked in. Hi, godsons. And I hope you're listening, too. You can write a little book report on this for school tomorrow. But I think it's so important for us to understand that he is also afraid. And Donald Trump wasn't new to this type of bigotry. It's the same type of bigotry that he used to employ or not to employ people. We know that he said, and we found out during the election, that he talked about a black accountant on his team who he deemed was lazy. And he said that he would rather have guys with yarmulkes counting his money. Yarmulkes are the little hats that Jewish folks wear, in case you missed it. Um, and, and it's a symbol of their religion, right? He said he would rather have folks with yarmulkes counting his money. We know that Donald Trump is the same bigot that had housing managers mark CP for colored people on the top of applications of black applicants who just wanted to stay in buildings owned by him and his father. Speaking of his father, we know that his father was found at a KKK rally. Fruit don't fall far from the tree, right? We also know that that's the same man who offered to pay the legal fees for a white supremacist who punched a black protester in the face at a rally. We also know that this is the same man who said that this was a time where he wishes we could go back to, and that was when people would be carried out on stretchers talking about protesters. This is the same man who pulled not one, not two, but three ads in New York newspapers calling for the death penalty of the Central Park Five. Black and brown boys. So we knew exactly who he was. That's why our community didn't vote for him. Except for the chick from Mary Mary, but I digress. I'm just saying. She better take them shackles off her feet so she can dance. Lord, I want to be a Christian. <laughs> I need to be delivered. <laughs> oh, Lord. If y'all didn't laugh, I wouldn't keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I heard y'all got her back. I heard y'all not showing up for a concert, so she, she, she postponed those. Her and Omarosa, who was just ready for Hillary the year before. Okay, I'm done. I'm off on a tangent that has nothing to do with our activism, so... <laughs> Oh my God, I know, shots fired, and yet bullets don't need to fly. I apologize. I don't really apologize for what I said. I apologize that I kept going. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not going to keep going. I, got st I have an agenda. I'm on message tonight. Thanks again to the folks at Forum for supporting this week's episode of On One. Forum is the premium hair care collection dedicated to making every hair journey simpler and better. Inspired by your own hair care journey, Form delivers uncompromising performance without sacrificing the health of your hair. They combine the special attention your hair deserves with the high quality solutions it needs. It all starts with your hair care goals, your life, and your style. After taking the Form consultation, you'll be delivered a Form regimen complete with selected products, styling techniques, and care tips that are tailored just for you. 
Just like their big brother brand Bevel, the folks at Forum were tired of seeing the women they love struggle to find hair care that was personal, effective, and hair quality. I'm sorry, and high quality, but hair quality too. <laughs> you can get 10% off your entire Forum order when you visit formbeauty.com forward slash Angela. The discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's formbeauty.com forward slash Angela. F-O-R-M beauty.com forward slash Angela. Get personal with form. So when we think about our activism now and resistance movements, the one positive thing I think that's happened since Donald Trump's election, we're talking about stay woke before or we real woke now, right? The day of his inauguration, women had the largest in mass protest that they've ever had with the Women's March. Yes. When we think about activism today, we think about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, whether you wear, yeah. Whether you will wear his costume for Halloween or not, whether you're taking a knee for the gram or not, right? We know that it's still a strategic type of protest to call attention to excessive police force, police brutality, and police violence on black and brown bodies. And that is what activism today looks like. Activism today are the activists that make up Black Lives Matter. And forcing candidates running to talk about that affirmation, that Black Lives Matter, to talk about mass incarceration, to address issues of pertinent concern to us. And so for all the elders, or sometimes my friend Jeff Johnson makes a distinction between elders and old people, for all the old people, that said that they don't support a decentralized movement or they don't understand what they're doing, we would not have been talking about the crime bill and mass incarceration if it were, were not for those bold and courageous activists with, that, associ that are associated with Black Lives Matter. That is activism today. So sometimes we spend a lot of time talking about the things that get the most viral attention, but not necessarily all the steps that were put in place to ensure those things happen. There's a chant that I'm sure many of you all know, um, if you have ever been in a, in a march or a protest, is what do we want? When do we want it? What do we want? When do we want it? Okay. I really want us to start thinking about that. What do we want? If we say it's justice, let me define that for you. It's the principle of dealing fairly. And I think that what justice does is it leaves equity on the table. That means that we haven't lifted that up as a core key objective or priority for us. We're just saying we just want what you, what you have without accounting for the fact that we've been at a deficit for more than 300 years here. So my question for you is, do we really want justice? When we think about our activism now, is that what we really want? When we think about the activism that we came from, is that what we really want? Is that what we really need? Or should it be power? But hold on, you don't know the definition. At least you don't know the definition I'm going to use. So when we think about the definition of power, 
I prefer Dr. King's definition. It's the ability to achieve purpose. And to me, this definition has uh, a physical meaning, it has an economic meaning, it has a political meaning, but it is also deeply spiritual. The ability, ability to achieve purpose is not just about our collective ability to move forward, to achieve our dreams, to fulfill Dr. King's dream even, but it's also about our independent ability to move forward. The ability to achieve purpose is the definition of power. And so when we think about what we want, whether it's justice or equity or power or some combination therein, the answer <laughs> for when we want it is still now. But the challenge I have for you all, um, as we are clearly in a social media age, is the simple fact that we oftentimes learn about these critical movements, things that Dr. King and so many others were involved in, and don't always take time to learn about how long some of these things took. Now, you all could say to me, well, we don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? And I would agree with you. But right now, we're spending a whole lot of energy having philosophical conversations about what organization is right, which issue we should be putting first, and all the while not agenda setting, all the while not implementing any type of strategic plan, singing the same we shall overcome, saying the same what do we want justice chant, and not moving the needle on any of those things. And so I think the, then the question becomes, what's your role, right? There should always be an internal facing strategy and an external facing strategy. Are you an outside agitator? Are you an internal advocate? Are you the diplomat to smooth things over after those among us who scorch the earth? <laughs> we need a bridge because we just burnt everything up. What is your role when we talk about what we want and when we want it? How are you utilizing your gifts, your skills, your talents to ensure that we are achieving that purpose of power? That we're ensuring that we're creating opportunities for the next generation to move forward? What is your role in that? And don't tell me that it's just to write a white paper. White papers are very important. But if somebody doesn't come behind these white papers and start implementing some of this stuff, we don't need another think tank. We don't need another table. In um, activism, sometimes within unions, they have tables. These tables that discuss things until we're blue in the face. All the while, on the other side, whether you're Republican, Independent, or Democrat, I'm using Republicans for a second, they're moving. They've taken over most of a majority of the state legislatures in this country, most of the governorships. They had an organization called the American Legislative Exchange Council where they just brought together corporations and trade, associ trade associations to pay thousands of dollars to write bills for legislators to copy and paste, go home and drop the bill. Where's my copy and pasted bill? I'm not in the legislature, but I mean to take to somebody in the legislature, right? Seriously, 
And it's real quiet, but we really could have been copying and pasting legislation that would go against Stand Your Ground, which is where that bill came from. That was introduced to members of uh, the state legislatures in ALEC. That's where Stand Your Ground came from. That's where voter ID came from. That's where private prisons got their boom. And we're like, here's our ALEC. Looking for it. Why are we still writing white papers? Okay, well, let me move along. But let me just use a couple of case studies, speaking of white papers, for the intellectuals among us. You need exhibit A and B. I'm about to give it to you. When we think about folks who played their roles, right? Dr. King was the spokesman, but he had Bayard Rustin. He had Hosea Williams. He had Diane Nash. He had Dorothy Hyde. He had Andy Young, right? All of these people played different parts. And do you know the civil rights movement? What would not have been what it was without all of those folks playing their role? Can you move your ego out the way so that you're not a spokesman, but you're still playing your part? When you talk, it sounds like you're whispering, but you want to be the spokesperson. You can talk real well, but when you put your pen to paper, people don't know what in the hell you're trying to say. You want to be a social media influencer with four followers. Play your part. That's what Andre 3000 said in the Outcast song. Play your part. Play your part. Listen. Come on, y'all. It's hot, but it's right. Huey Newton. Huey Newton was not the Black Panther Party by himself. There was Eldridge Cleaver and Bobby Seals and Kathleen Cleaver and Angela Davis and Asada Shakur. Everybody had a part to play. People like my dad ran the breakfast, the free breakfast program for kids out of organizations to help support that mission. When was the last time you ensured that kids in your community could just eat before they went to school? And I'm talking to me too, but y'all, our communities are starving while we're trying to get in limelights that don't have anything to do with the next steps we need to take to ensure we're achieving our purpose. So activism now isn't just ensuring that you can grace the cover of a magazine or make the next 100 list or the top 10 list or even boost your social media following. That's not what it's about. It's about ensuring that we're making life better for the kids that come after us. So when I talk about an internal facing and an external facing strategy, what I'm talking about is sometimes y'all, we have to turn it inward and take care of ourselves. We keep asking folks who don't care about us to do for us. And we're asking them to do for us what we're not even doing ourselves. What's the internal strategy? What is our agenda? How are we going to address the disparities that have existed in education and education funding for years? The fact that, let's use an example for the young people in here, 
or in overflow. I'm sorry, but I, I really feel bad about that. But I'm so grateful that y'all are here or on Facebook live stream. Meek Mill. I'm not about to shade Meek Mill, so I hope that's not laughter at Meek Mill. This is like actually it's a really good example to use with young people for what is wrong with the justice system. So for an alleged probation violation, after he's been completely clean, drug-free for six months, this judge, a black woman, sentenced Meek Mill to two to four years in jail. His initial violation is one that white folks all over this country are getting licenses now to sell marijuana. And here he is at the height of his career facing two to four years, which is excessive for a probation violation. Do you know the prosecutors weren't even asking for him to do any jail time? Yeah. What is our internal strategy? What is our external strategy? How do we reach judges and police officers and teachers who look like us but don't think like us? So that's why even as a lawyer, I stand before you all questioning whether justice is what we should really be ultimately seeking. I don't think that's enough. I think we need to be seeking power. And I don't think that power has to be the way that we've been taught it was. Y'all, I really don't think that we were taught to understand power the same as our white counterparts. Black and brown folks were taught to see power as evil and wrong and selfish. But that's an abuse of power. Helping somebody achieve their purpose and you have the wherewithal to do that, that's loving power. That's the good kind of power. That's activism in action, right? We have to have a paradigm shift, frankly, in how we see many of the things that were taught to us were bad, including black. Yeah, I'm going to move away from that. But you know it's true. So when we think about what we should be striving for, when we think about what role we're each supposed to play, I hope that soon after that thought process comes to an end, because it shouldn't take forever, we want it now, right? <laughs> that you reach a conclusion about what your role will be and begin to mobilize and set a standard for other people around you. Again, there's an internal and an external strategy. And we have to understand, if for no other reason than the two examples that I just named, Dr. King, the Civil Rights Movement, Huey Newton and the Black Panther Party, that movements are designed to be interdependent. It's not about one person who gets the limelight or the shine. It's about moving the needle for a collective. We also saw that with the Women's March. It's not just the four women co-chairs, right, who led the Women's March. There's a huge team around them of multicultural women who made the difference there, too. If we need a modern-day example, you think about Black Lives Matter. The reason why they didn't want a figurehead is because they didn't want people to be distracted and take somebody out. We got to learn to move more discreetly. Prince, before he died, talked about 
how we're the only people who will lay out an agenda and put it up on the internet for everybody to <laughs> for everybody to see. We're the only ones who will do that. We can move a little more discreetly, y'all. We're going to have to. I know I said it was for another lecture, but I'm about to come to the Democrats real quick. Because I think this is a part of our activism. And it's less about the Democrats and more about us. This is what I'm going to say. Y'all might not be ready, but just deal with it. So here's the thing. We've been a very, very, very loyal, very loyal, very, very loyal, very, very extraordinary, <laughs> loyal, ride or die, loyal to the Democratic Party. And that's not bad. I, I don't see an alternative with the, with the Republicans, right? So that's not where I'm going with this. But when you're that loyal, you should get something back. And that's why in so many of my talks I say that I'm tired of asking and now I'm on to the demands, right? We need our own party. And I'm not talking about Republicans, Democrats, Black Party. I'm talking about Black Party like they had the Tea Party. Right? It's a mechanism to ensure that in all you're doing, Democrats, you remember that your ride or dies are right here and we're pushing you on every issue that we have. We are going to look at every single one of your contractors and vendors to ensure that your spend it starts to equalize and you start spending money with our firms. Democrats, we are going to ensure that your hiring practices reflect a more diverse hiring group. Democrats, we are going to ensure that you are running black and brown people and Asian folks to run for office. We're going to hold you accountable on your candidate recruitment efforts. Why, you ask? Because people of color can win statewide. We've been saying that, we've been seeing it, and now our latest example is, of course, Justin Fairfax. And let me tell you what Justin was up against. Justin was left off of campaign literature from the, gov the gubernatorial candidate because he was black. He was left off. And look at God, he still won. You think about some of the racism experienced by President Obama during the Democratic primary, right, in 2008. We continuously show up and show out for progressives. And it's time for us to tell white progressives, we appreciate your allyship, but you can't do for us like we can do for us. And so we demand that you hear our voice. We demand that you take action in concert with what we are saying works for us, we're not asking you anymore. We're telling you, boo. That's where we have to be. So anyway, I know that's tight, but it's right too. That's where we have to be. So I don't know. Donna's book just came out today. I haven't read it yet. But I said I stand with Donna because I want you all to know something. Donna Brazil is a part of a group of black women. Like they are the originators of black girl magic called the Colored Girls. The Colored Girls got their training during uh, Reverend Jackson's campaign in 1984. 
when there were white employees who were trying to come after them, questioning their intelligence, questioning their ability to think strategically, they put up a sign in a conference room that said, we are the colored girls and we shall not be moved. They've been taking a stand for us, having a seat at the table for us for years and years and years. And a lot of the work they've done, you don't know anything about. And so what I'm telling you as someone who sees Donna as a mentor, I wouldn't be at CNN if it wasn't for the door that Donna opened for so many of us. Right? I'm telling you as someone who knows her, if she's saying something went down a certain way, it went down that way. Many of you question the timing. Why would you do this when we have an election on Tuesday? We still won, so you can let that go. And again, going back to this idea of an internal versus an external facing strategy, you can clean up at home and still go out and do your job, right? That's what happened. We have to clean this up. I'm telling you, the party is in shambles. There are camps. There's a Bernie Sanders camp. There's a Hillary Clinton camp. There's people somewhere in between that don't really care, just want it to get fixed. There's a black party camp that I just started. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm saying that to say, if it's truly a big tent, right? We call the Democratic Party a big tent, really a lot. If it's truly a big tent, then that means that there's room enough for all of us, all of our different issues, all of our policy priorities, and the job of the leadership of the big tent is to figure out how to appeal to the masses, how to create bridges. It's not the job of that big tent to say, you know what, we gotta go back to talking to the white middle class. That ain't the answer. That's not what you should, that's not where you should have arrived after the 2016 election. Because guess who showed up today in these elections? Okay? So we overwhelmingly showed up. Normally midterm elections are very, very white voters, right? Overwhelmingly white. And today, black and brown people really showed up. So that means that that way of thinking is not accurate. Support for On One comes from Just Fab. Boot season is in full effect. And if you're still at the mall shopping for your favorite styles, it's time to get out of the 90s and come into 2017 with the rest of us. You can become the trendsetter you've always wanted to be and you don't have to break the bank to do it. Start by going to JustFab.com right now. When you visit the site for the first time, you're given a style quiz. After taking it, JustFab personalizes your shopping experience so your favorite styles will rise straight to the top. Has a store in the mall ever done that for you? Let me help you. No. You can shop as a guest or become a VIP and save up to 30% off of retail prices and even gain access to tons of other exclusive perks. JustFab charges a $40 shopping credit to your account per month that you can use for anything on the site. But guess what? If you don't feel like shopping that month, just click the skip button and your card won't be charged. Not a bad deal for 30% off every purchase. But here's an even better deal. Go to justfab.com forward slash on one right now. Sign up as a VIP and you'll get your first style for as low as $10. That's 10 bucks. 10. You heard that right. Just visit justfab.com forward slash on one to get your first style for as low as $10. When's the last time you got some good shoes for $10? So do it today. So going back to my um, black party idea, one of the things that I've really been pushing in every single lecture, every single speech, every single talk I do 
is the importance of having, this is more of an internal strategy, but there are three parts. It's bank black, buy black, and give black. And so what I ask folks, first and foremost, is how many of you all bank black? This is honestly, you don't have to talk. There's no call and response just yet. But honestly, this is way better than what I normally see. I'd say about 10% of the room, but it's still terrible. You don't have to be a black person to have a bank account at a black-owned bank. But this is a very black room, so y'all should definitely have a bank account at a black-owned bank. And we're in L.A., so you know what that means? There's one here. It's called One United. You can, um, instead of clapping, you can just go open your account. How about that? I don't need your amen. I just need you to go do that. How about that? Um, and, and to that point, why is that so important? These three pillars are really a remix of a Dr. King idea that I got from his speech, Where Do We Go From Here? It's a 1967 speech that I listen to regularly. It inspires me, but it also frustrates me to no end. Why? Because so much of what he's talking about then are issues that we're still dealing with now. We didn't fulfill the true purpose of Operation Breadbasket and how they moved the needle on issues of jobs and communities. Do you know he said then that if you value my dollar, you need to value me as a person? Are we still saying the same thing or what? He said we need to begin to boldly proclaim that black is beautiful, right? Affir have that as an affirmation. That's Black Lives Matter all over again. 1967, here we are, still, anyway. We need to really learn from that and embrace that truth. In addition to banking black, there's buying black. How many of you all support black-owned businesses? Much better, that's always a much better number. I always feel much better after that. How many of you do support black businesses weekly? Okay, we back, almost said bank numbers. I don't wanna hear it. If you truly believe that black is beautiful, that black lives matter, I need you to support your local black-owned business, and there's no excuse because local has kind of changed. There's an online thing happening now, so local's right at your fingertips. It's a click away. It's a click away. So you can support a number of black businesses now online. When I think about the importance of black-owned businesses and black banks, the whole point of Dr. King's message here was that we support the institutions that will lend to the folks who we just talked about, to black-owned bank, I mean to black-owned businesses. We support the institutions that will give us that loan for that house, right? Who will give us that line of credit to help business grow. Yes, black women are the fasting growing, fastest growing group of entrepreneurs, but that's with one employee and annual revenues of $70,000. Don't we want to double that revenue, triple that revenue, quadruple that revenue, help sisters get more employees? We do that by supporting the entities that will give them access to capital. Give them that line of credit. Yeah, okay. The last one is give black. And giving black can mean so much, first of all, Clearly, I love Jesus, because I talked about Bible study and quoted a scripture, but I know I talked about Mary Mary, too. Only one of the Marys. 
one of the berries. It's better than what my dad said. My dad said, one of those berries lost her damn mind. <laughs> Sorry, godsons, but you know your Uncle Eddie cusses, so that wasn't really me cussing. Okay. So, what was I saying? Oh, Jesus, yes. He's my rock in salvation. Okay. So, I love Jesus, but black people are the most philanthropic people in the country. We give most of our philanthropy to the church house. And while I am not telling you to cut corners on your tithes and offerings, I am questioning why you won't utilize some of those same resources to support local organizations who are doing work on the ground to ensure the meek mill who lives in your house or next door doesn't have to have the same experience with the criminal justice system, y'all. I'm wondering why you can't take your philanthropic behind to support institutions that will tutor our kids and get them STEM ready to compete in a global economy. And I want to understand why your philanthropic self won't contribute to candidates who are talking about our issues and dealing with our issues and addressing our issues in the ways that we need them to. Again, I'm not talking about cutting your tithe money. But you know, if you got on bloody shoes, you could have took that bloody shoe money. <laughs> friends that started an organization called Collective Pack. Shout out to Quentin James and Stephanie Brown James who had a great night tonight. Collective Pack, an organization that is built, a pack, a political action committee that is built to ensure that we're running candidates of color and they're competitive whether your party supports them or not. They have our support. That looks like black party to me. I'm back on message. But I'm saying all of that to say we have internal work to do where all of us have a role to play. And then there's some other internal work that we have to do where it's going to require folks who know specific trades or have specific gifts to help really build up and strengthen the community in which we need it. And then there's an external facing strategy where we all have a role to play there as well, but some more than others. Some of us are good at scorching the earth. And that should only be dealt with, you should only deal with your enemy like that. I'm still learning that sometimes. But my point is, activism now means playing your part, knowing your role, knowing what our ultimate objective is, what is our real objective. And one thing that I'm also learning every day is being able to, to distinguish the difference between the battle and the war. If you spend your time Remember what power is, the ability to achieve a certain purpose. If you spend your time on every battle that comes your way, you will be tired by the time the war comes. I know I'm drained every time I see that that fool has tweeted again. And the shade in me <laughs> wants to respond every time.
It took all of Jesus Christ not for me to say anything about this Omarosa White House uh, photograph story today. Yeah, y'all didn't read that. Go home and read that. But don't tweet about it because we're not going to get distracted on the battle. And that's not even a battle. I don't even know what she is. She don't even have a desk in the White House. I don't even know what that is. I'm serious. Her desk is in the other building in EEOB. I'm not kidding. That's real. Look it up. But we can't, like just now, Exhibit A, we can't get distracted on the battle. We have to focus on the war. What is our war? Our war is fighting and ultimately defeating systemic oppression. That's the very thing this country was built upon. Do you know how hard that is? You know why they fight so hard for that Confederate flag? You know why they're going so crazy about folks taking a knee to the American flag and to the national anthem? Seriously, we're not just fighting the system economically, we're fighting a mindset. That's a stronghold, right? We have to gear up for that. So the battles can in some way be practiced, right? But we can't be so bogged down in every single battle that we are distracted from our ultimate objective of, of achieving power. So anyway, I want us to be very intentional when we leave here on thinking about what our role is, on how we engage in activism. I spent a long time, every time somebody asked me if I was an activist, saying no. And it wasn't until after the 2016 election that I said, you know what, I am. And at this point, all of y'all are. We don't have a choice anymore. We have lives to protect. We have lives to save. We have lives to make better. We have power to achieve. We have equity to achieve. It's not just about justice. And, and justice is not bad, it's just not enough. So I thank you all for your time and I will take the questions. Questions. Hold on, before you do that, Z, I don't know, oh, you said keep recording? Okay. That's that's my assistant, Z, everybody. She's going to law school next year. Now she has to because everybody heard it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Well, so we have a lot of questions. We're going to get to as many as you would like us to get to. Um, the first question is, in politics, marginalized communities are referred to as the minority when we represent the global majority. How do we move away from a way of thinking meant to ostracize us and discourage our communities from recognizing the collective power of Great question. And I have far too simple an answer. The answer is um, we are definitely not minorities. I hope you heard me today. I say black and brown people. I say people of color. I never say minority. Um, and I think that part of that is I have um, a mentor from high school um, who helped us to establish our Black Student Union at Holy Names Academy. Academy. Um, shout out to anybody that knows that school from Seattle. But he told us um, that he who defines rules, or in our instance, she who defines rules. 
And so we get to decide what language we use to refer to ourselves, right? We tell you who we are. We define ourselves. And so I think one and the same, we're not a minority. Again, we see every day how the majority in this country is threatened. Um, but I definitely say people of color. I don't even like marginalized communities, right? Because um, I think that that addresses um, one aspect of resources that's financial, but doesn't um, it doesn't address the power of our impact and the power of our gifts and our collective strength. I think marginalized marginalizes us as well. What can be done to make bigger strides in universal healthcare from your perspective? Wow. Um, so this is one of those things where it's about figuring out um, it's, it's definitely, I don't want to call it a distraction. I don't think it's a distraction. I just think that we have to have a proper way to measure what's doable. So I think that we can have an aspiration, but have to understand as well that it's not a tangible goal for right now, just because of the makeup of the United States House of Representatives and Senate. Like right now, we're just fighting folks on whether or not we could get a pre-existing condition covered right, on whether or not prescription drugs can be affordable, on whether or not women can just decide what they want to do with their own vaginas, frankly, right? Sorry. Sorry, kids. Sorry, parents. But seriously, so when you're up against that mentality, you have to figure out how to set certain benchmarks in place to ensure that you achieve your ultimate goal long term. But I think right now, the strategy's been brilliant, right? They've tried to repeal Obamacare how many times? 60-something times. They started that while he was still in the White House as if he was going to sign that bill, right? I mean, like, rocket scientists we have here. And then now, Donald Trump has figured out how to use the power of the pen, surprise, because he still can't spell, um, to take away some of the benefits of Obamacare. Um, and so we have to understand what we're up against. And so I think right now the strategy is just to fight to protect what we had, right? Um, because it's not all the way intact. And hope to hold um, governors accountable to ensure that they are implementing what we have so that it's not um, in limbo and people feel like they don't have the health care that they do have access to if folks, particularly in southern states, implemented what they had. So universal health care, I think, is, is a long-term game. Um, and we're just not there yet, unfortunately. That's good, y'all. Y'all better clap. That was good. Um, this is my favorite one. Angela Rye for president 2028? Absolutely not. No. It's so a question. remember how somebody was not listening when I said, know your role, play your part, play your part. So in case you missed it, I have no poker face. I got a Joe Biden mouth, but I'm not white like Joe Biden. <laughs> so that didn't really work. I have other colleagues. My dad did my podcast. Um, and on my podcast, somebody asked him this question. And he's just like, yeah, no, Angela, you know, she got a different purpose. <laughs> so I am happy to help assist, uh, aid someone, strategize with someone. Um, who has those aspirations, but that is not my calling. Praise God. We can all dream. <laughs> How would you advise a teenager or a young adult in terms of what part 
they can play from wherever they are right now. Here's the crazy part to me. This question comes up so much, but can I tell y'all that I learn from young people all day, every day? Like, seriously. Sometimes young people don't need our instruction. They need us to pay attention and to listen. Like, if you listen to some of the young people in your life, they will have you together on your social media. They will have you together with new, fresh ideas. Part of our issue, y'all, like with the implementation of our strategy and moving an agenda forward, is we're trying the same tired stuff. And it doesn't work. And why doesn't it work? Because folks expect us to do the same thing. They expect us to go protest and then tire out before we get into the next action items. They expect us to do that. Young people will have you right. So my advice to whomever wrote that question is to start listening to young people instead of instructing them on what to do. That doesn't mean that we don't guide young people or pour wisdom into you know lessons learned that we've had, whether they've been good or bad, but I am urging all of us to listen more. I think we can learn a lot from young people. Again, it was young people who ensured that mass incarceration and Black Lives Matter was on the agenda for 2016. So we need to listen to young people. And I'm not a young person anymore. That hurts. I thought, you know, like I want to be in the young adults ministry at church still, but I... It's like, can it be 40 and under? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess we'll do one more question. Okay, sure. Uh, sure. Um, Hey, friend in my head, this person says. Hey, friend in my head. (laughs) Uh, They said, we're ready to do all of what you said today. Legislative, um, creating our own party. But how do we start? We simply just don't know how, this person said. Well, I told you what, I hope you wrote this before I got to the end. And repeat it, repeat it. They need it. Okay, repeat it. Okay. I don't like repeating myself either. See, that's why I wouldn't be a good presidential candidate. Like, I just told y'all at the last stump speech. (laughs) Ooh, that's bad. But I have family members and a best friend in here to prove that that is true. Um, I do not like to repeat myself and lack patience. Um, But for repeating, so... First thing is to please know the role that you play in movement building and saying that you don't have a role or like being on the sidelines, being a a critic, right? Analyzing the plays, but you're not in the game. That ain't it, right? It's to know whether or not you will benefit the community more from being a part of an internal facing strategy or, or an external facing strategy. Whether you are a strategist, an advocate, an agitator, firebomb thrower, not literally, we're not encouraging fires or bombs, it's figurative, for the record, seriously. Um, Whether you're a teacher, right, you can train other folks into doing some of this work, or something else, some other role. I heard those keys, y'all, I was like, who is coming up here? I know, but if I didn't know it was Shella, I was like, wait, you're not going to George Bush me, I'll throw my shoe back That's the other thing. I got mild ADD. I can't be the president. Um, So, yeah, the the main thing is to know what role you play. And then I'd ask for you to have either a circle of accountability 
um, or at least an accountability partner to ensure that you're staying engaged. And I know that that's something that I need right now, too. It's not enough for me to go do speeches or to go be on CNN or to even post things on my social media that are instructive. I have to figure out a way to be more hands-on and, and providing technical assistance to the community um, from my professional space, right? There are some of us who worked in legislature and can tell people what to do to move the ball forward on certain bills. I want to be a part of building our version of ALEC, which again is the American Legislative Exchange Council. But there's no shortage of ideas is the point. What we need to get to quickly is creating an agenda and then implementing that agenda. Agenda. It's not about just justice, because that's not enough. It's about power and equity. Thanks again to Just Fab for supporting this week's episode. It's boot season, ladies. And if you're still in traffic trying to get to the mall for your favorite styles, it's time to get with the times and go to JustFab.com. You don't have to have millions in the bank to be the trendsetter you've always wanted to be. Live up to your fashion potential today by visiting JustFab.com right now. Go to JustFab.com forward slash on one to sign up as a VIP and you'll get your first style for as low as $10. That's JustFab.com forward slash on one to get your first style for as low as $10 today. Striving to do right, my people are warriors All we know is the fight, praying to seek God and everything I call me the yellow shotter I say I'm just my father's daughter Like Christ, my body beaten, but I refuse to holler Won't give up the satisfaction, but I let the tears flow Steady praying for a father, forgive him, they don't know That the revolution will not be televised Twitter, Facebook, excuse me as I scrutinize Out of the mouth of this babe comes perfected praise As if you needed a sign, we in the last days And so the revolution starts with a stroke of the